Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor. For those of you who are uh, here for the first time or watching online, we are really glad you're with us. Before I get into the message, I want to share something I'm very excited about. Pastor Mark told me this week that there are 42 small groups that are going to be available this fall. That's the most we've ever had by far, and I'm really excited about that. One of the small groups, for example, is a small group for people that want to go on a mission trip next year. It's a preparation for a mission trip small group. That's, that's just one example. Obviously, we have the message small groups where we talk about the messages each week. There will be all kinds of activities, so I want you to even be thinking and praying about We're not handing out stuff today. Uh, that's in a couple of weeks, but I just want you to be thinking about this fall, and one of the ways that we um, you know, engage in a, a life-changing community is in a small group. This is a great venue for transmitting information, for celebrating together in worship, but it's really not a good place to get to know each other very well. Small groups are for that, and so I want to encourage you, when the opportunity comes, to sign up. I, you know, I, I don't really care about math until I do. Uh, 42 small groups times 10, that's easy math, right? 420 people. If there were 15 people, that'd be 630, which is about half of the number of people that call New Life our church home. So uh, if everybody signed up, you know, we'll get more leaders. I'll just tell you that. If, If 1,200 people sign up, we'll get more leaders. But I'm excited about what God's doing through that. And I generally don't take the time to, to celebrate. I, I'm one of those guys who, you know, if what you did yesterday still seems big, you haven't done much today. So let's uh, make sure um, that we take time to celebrate the small and, and the big things that God is doing among us. And that's one of them. So uh, we're in the middle of this series called Mountain Monologues. And I'm just back about a week now, eight days actually, back from Cambodia. And always the transition back is, is challenging. You know, there's the 11-hour time change, so you have what they call jet lag, and it's a real thing, especially when you change 11 hours. And it's actually more the culture change. Um, I hope you've had the opportunity to leave the U.S. at some point and go to a country that's, that's very different, maybe has a different, you know, uh, Cambodia, different religion, certainly uh, different economics. It's very different because it's easy for us to take what we have for granted. For example, uh, we stayed at the Lucky Guest House, which is like a little motel, and uh, most of the people in the Lucky Guest House had hot showers. (laughs) Iris Scully and I, my roommate for the trip, we did not. So every morning we got awakened by a nice, brisk, cold shower. Uh, We didn't have the internet for most of the two weeks we were gone. And uh, we we didn't even have water that we could drink. We had to get, you know, bottled water. You couldn't brush your teeth and use the faucet water. You couldn't do that. If you did, you were in danger of... uh, not feeling very good for a while, okay? So anyway, the one thing we did have, though, was air conditioning. But what we realized after a couple days is when we left every morning, the manager turned off the breakers to all the air conditioners. So there would be no air conditioning until we got back. Well, one day, I didn't go out with the rest of the team. I stayed back to do some writing, and I was sitting there, and I noticed my room was getting warmer, and it was getting warmer, and it was getting warmer, and then I looked up, and my air conditioning's not working. So I went out to the manager, and I said, hey, my air conditioning's not working. So he walks over to this breaker panel, and I was in room 107. It said 107. He turned it on. I always had air conditioning for the rest of the trip. Now, I'm not complaining. To be honest with you, it was sort of nice not to hear that email ding for two weeks. And actually, you know, it was sort of nice to wake up in the morning, always groggy from the jet lag for the first few days, and then I, I didn't get that much sleep. So to have that fresh, ah, oh, wake up, and I, it was better than five cups of coffee. You know, I mean, it would wake you up right away. And frankly, I would put up with a lot more than that to have the opportunity to tell people who don't know about Jesus about Jesus. 
And when we went to Sisipon, which is the main city of the Bonte Michi province, which is where the Lucky Guest House is, the very first day we were there, in the morning we got to go prayer walking. And Haley Rerick, who's right over there, and me, um, were from New Life. And then there were three folks that were from Southeast Asia Prayer Center, Cambodia. They were Cambodians. It was uh, Suwanai and Lida and Bunli. And the reason the five of us were together was because if we met somebody that we wanted to talk to, we wouldn't be able to talk to them. They spoke Khmer, we spoke English, and so we had the translators. Anyway, we're prayer walking, and I felt led to go into this museum. Now, why would you be led to go into a museum on a prayer walk? Well, anyway, we go into the museum, and there, was, uh, there were all these columns and pillars from like 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago in Cambodia. And then over here, there, was, there were these two skeletons, 4,000-year-old skeletons. And that's an unusual thing in a Buddhist country because in Buddhist countries, they cremate people when they die. So it was unusual, you know. But anyway, after looking around for a while, we walked back over to the museum director, and I struck up a conversation, obviously, through the translator. Hi, how are you doing, you know. And as we talked a little bit, I said to him, do you know about Jesus Christ? And he, he said, yes, I, I know about Jesus Christ. And so we talked a little bit longer, and I said, do you know Jesus Christ personally? as your Savior and Lord. No, he didn't. So we talked a little bit longer, and so finally I said, would you like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And he said, yes, I would. So at that point, I turned to Sawana, one of the Cambodians, and I said, hey, you tell him how he gets to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Why would we bother putting a translator in between this? Let's just let the two people that speak the same language. So they did that. I prayed, and I got to watch as this new brother became a member of the family. So that was, a, that was one of the coolest things. Yeah, nobody has clapped yet. I think that's a pretty good thing to clap about. So today, as we turn in our Mountain Monologue series, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we're in week 17 of 20, we probably come to the most famous statement that Jesus ever made, most familiar, let's put it that way. Here's what he, and actually, let's look at the take-home point to see a little twist on this famous statement. Um, and for those of you, again, if you're new, the take-home point is the point that we draw from the Scripture that we want to take home with us, and we want to pray about it, and more importantly, live it out in the week ahead. So here it is. Doing to others what they need us to do for them is the best way to fulfill the golden rule. Now, we're going to read the golden rule. In fact, I'm going to read it to you right now from Matthew 7, verse 12. It says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. But our take-home point is a little twist or a little nuance on that. Yes, we want to do to others what we would want them to do to us, but sometimes what we would do for them isn't what they need. For example, let's go back to the museum director. I already know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, so when I walked into that museum that morning... It was hot and muggy, as it always is in Cambodia, but it was really not as hot and muggy as usual. But anyway, if I was just thinking about what could I do for that guy that I would want him to do for me, I could have just said, hey, why don't you close your shop down? We'll go down to the coffee shop, and we'll have an ice-cold chocolate frap, right? I mean, what's better than an ice-cold chocolate frap on a hot day? So if I wanted to do to him what he would, you know, I would want him to do to me, that's what I would have done. But he didn't need a chocolate frap as much as he needed Jesus, what he really needed that day, he didn't even know it when he woke up, is he needed Jesus Christ. But that night when he went to bed, he knew Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. So we gave him what he needed, not just what we would have needed in that same situation. So we're going to talk more about that. But as we go through the passage from Matthew 7, 12 to 14, we're going to see how Jesus wants us to live and how we can make a difference 
in our own families, in, you know, in our communities, and, and really everywhere we go, even Cambodia. So before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love. We thank you that you came here in the man Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, a life none of us could live, and to show us what we need. And God, today we pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, our, whole, our, our spirit by your Holy Spirit, God, that we can receive your truth for us so that we can go out better prepared, um, better equipped to love you, to serve you, and to show others what it means to do to them what they need in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible or Bible app or your Mountain Monologue study guide, as I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. It's a very short passage, just three verses. And here's what Jesus said. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." So Jesus said that the whole Old Testament is summed up in the golden rule. That's amazing. I mean, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, if you have a Bible, you probably know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and the Old Testament covers everything from the creation of the universe by God up to about 400 years before Jesus came to the earth. The New Testament, of course, covers Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, resurrection, return to heaven, and the early ministry of the church. So two-thirds of the, old is, of the Bible is the Old Testament, one-third is the New Testament, and Jesus said, if we want to uh, be able to live out two-thirds of the Bible towards other people, all we have to do is simply this, do to others what you want them to do for you. The English Standard Version, which we read, says what you wish that they would do, but whether it's wish or want or need, the, the point is the same. If we really, truly want to help other people, then what we need to do is simply think about what they need. What we would want to, you know, them to do in a similar situation and have them do it. Now, the reason for the twist in the, the take-home point is this. The guy in the museum needed Jesus, not a chocolate frap. My wife, Nancy, and I are very different. Um, in fact, she's a woman and I'm a man. That's a big difference. I'm an extrovert. You might not have guessed that over the years, but I'm an extreme extrovert. And my wife is an extreme introvert. So after three hours at church, four hours at church, five hours at church on Sunday morning, if I were going to do to Nancy what I would want done to me, I would say, hey, Nancy, let's go out and have dinner with 100 people for about three more hours. That's what I would want to do. But for Nancy, that is not what she wants. After, you know, the whole morning here at church, what she wants to do is she wants to go home, she wants to take a nap, or she wants to go out on the back patio and look at her flowers or, you know, watch the birds or take a walk. She needs to be away from people. So you see how it works? If I do to Nancy what I want done, I'll kill her. (laughs) You know, because I love to be around people all the time. Not so much for her. So if we want to do the golden rule, if we want to do to others what they have done to us, you know, we need to think about that and think it all the way through. Of course, there are certain things we all want. If somebody starts yelling at us, we want them to stop. You know, if a guy's hungry, he wants to eat. If a woman is, you know, discouraged and sad, she wants encouragement. All of us want those things. But if we want to go the second mile when it comes to the golden rule, then what we need to do is we need to get to know the person and we need to think about what do they need that will benefit them and not just what we would do or want done to us. You see the difference? So while Matthew 7, 12 is a single verse, 
Jesus told us it sums up the whole Old Testament. And in my life, that single verse was extremely transformative. Matthew 7, 12 has changed everything for me. So one of my favorite inspirational speakers, he's dead now, but his name, just his name alone is worth remembering, Charlie Tremendous Jones. Wouldn't you like to be known as Tremendous? Well, Charlie Tremendous Jones, inspirational speaker and writer, said this, you will be the same person you are today five years from now, except for the people you meet and the books you read. I have found that statement to be extremely helpful and true. Very powerful statement. Because if we fast forward five years from today, I'll be 67. And in, in, when I'm 67, I'm going to be exactly the same when I'm 67 as when I'm 62, except for the people that I interact with in my life and the books that I read or listen to on podcasts, whatever. And if we have Jesus Christ as the main person in our life, we'll be radically different in five years than we are today. And if we read the Bible, it will transform us from the inside out as we apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But a little more than 12 years ago now, I read a book that was called Change Your Heart, Change Your Life by Gary Smalley. The book offers a very simple premise, and here it is. Our hearts store what we have experienced in life, and the way to change them is through the truth found in the Bible. So in my case, what was stored in my heart from the day I was born, practically, was inappropriate anger. I had that experience with my dad. And by the time I was five years old, I was spewing that stuff back out. I mean, it was what was written on my heart. It was stored in my heart. And what's stored and written in your heart comes out. So when I was 12 years old, I trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. But the thing is, the anger just didn't automatically go away. In fact, as I continued to live my life into my teenage years and adult years, you know, my dad continued to put in anger. Other people put in anger. I put in anger. And so over the years, it was there. And when people would do things, not big things, like cut me off in traffic, take 17 items to the 15 item or less item at the grocery store, you know, tell me that my leadership style wasn't what it could be. You get the idea. Pretty much anything would set me off. And sometimes you wouldn't know it on the outside, but on the inside, my blood pressure was up, you know, my veins were all popping out, and I was, I was yelling. If I wasn't yelling out loud, I was yelling under my breath. That was the way life was for me. And so what, what happened was that Gary Smalley suggested the way to get rid of this is to overwrite the truth of God's Word in your heart to the point that it erases or overwrites what's there, and it will change your behavior. Now, like I said, that's a pretty simple, you know, pretty simple idea. Um, and so I started going through the book of Proverbs to see all the words there were about anger. And, you know, there's one thing about all the words about anger um, in the book of Proverbs. They all have something to do with if you show anger, you're a fool. Well, I didn't want to memorize a verse that told me I was a fool. Right? Uh, yeah. So I chose a different verse, the verse that we are looking at today. Because here's why. The golden rule is short, clear, and it addresses anger because no one wants me to blow up at them when I'm upset. Those of you who know me well, and I don't think you really have to know me all that well, know that I'm a very intense person. I'm serious about life. I have a sense of humor, you can tell. But, you know, I come to life, when I get out of bed and get that cold shower, I'm ready to go. And I'm full throttle till the end of the day. I'm serious about life. And usually that's good. But when you take that and you put inappropriate anger into the mix you get explosions, and that's not good. So, 
as I was thinking and praying and changing and doing all the stuff that I was supposed to do, I said, okay, I have this saying. You've heard it before if you've been coming to New Life for a few weeks. The Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. The Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. And what Gary Smalley said was simple, and it seemed too easy. How could this work? But I decided the only thing I have to lose is my inappropriate anger. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that verse. And I don't know if you realize you can pray verses of Scripture. But here's how, it, here's how it went. I would say, Lord, please let me do to others what I would want them to do for me. And then I would say that verse over and over and over again. And uh, I would consider the implications. And here are the implications of living out uh, the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. If I'm going to live the golden rule, not just talk about it, not think about it, not have it feel good in my heart, but live it, then I'm going to need the power of the Holy Spirit and a personal commitment to doing the best for others. So the results were, actually, they were dramatic and they were fairly quick. What happened was when situations came up that used to drive me crazy, um, I would immediately go to prayer. Now, I'll be honest with you. At first, the prayers weren't really generous. The prayer might be something like, God, help that idiot because he just cut me off in traffic and he's going to kill somebody. He keeps driving like that, right? But after a bit, it changed and over years, and now actually it's not really much of a prayer anymore. When that happens, I just go, really? And, uh, and I just go about my day. Now, I am not telling you that in those 12 years and applying all this and in the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm perfect. In fact, my brother Tom actually watches our, our, our um, service on Facebook a lot of weeks. And this morning he walks in. Guess what he posted? He, he posted this. He said, he's come a long way, but he hasn't got it 100%. <laughs> he's right. I haven't got it 100%, but it's way, way different in my life than it used to be. And now that I've added over these past couple years that understanding that what, what I really need to do if I'm going to apply the golden rule in everybody's situation is I need to get to know you so I know what you need, not just what I would want. Because I want to give you what you need in the sense of what Jesus wants you to have. And that way I can really apply the golden rule. It's a work in progress for all of us. But it's, it is true that when we apply the word of God into our hearts, it transforms them from the inside out. Now... Jesus also said this, the two verses that we read after the golden rule. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. When Jesus made those statements, he was making a hard turn toward the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, we have taken the Sermon on the Mount and have divided it into 20 pieces. But it's one big, long message. And right here when he said, narrow gate, wide gate, narrow path, wide path, he's starting to bring the message to its climax. And, and actually, next week he's going to talk about fruit, and I'm going to say that a little bit about that as I send you out today. In two weeks from now, I'm going to talk about, I think, the hardest thing that Jesus ever says in the Sermon on the Mount. Because what he says is, you know how I always say when we face Jesus someday, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, we want to, but what Jesus says is some of us think we're going to hear that, and what we're going to hear instead is, I don't know who you are. you got to leave. So I hope that you'll be here for these closing three messages because they're very powerful comments of what Jesus calls us to be and do. So as we think about this, um, narrow gate, wide gate, 
So there's a narrow gate, and it has a narrow path that leads to life. There's a wide gate with a wide road that leads to destruction. And so Jesus says, basically, there's two gates. And I want you to think about something this morning about the culture in which we live. And it's up on the screen right now. We live in a multiple option culture. Multiple options. There's a narrow gate. There's a wide gate. There's a wider gate. There's a this gate, that gate, another gate. But Jesus told us following him means choosing one way. There aren't a hundred ways to get to heaven. You know, I've heard many people say, you know, there are many ways to the top of the mountain. Well, if you're a mountain climber, that's probably true. But if you want to know the living God of the universe, that's not true. There's really just one way, and that's what Jesus said. There's this narrow gate, and through the narrow gate, after you squeeze through the narrow gate, there's a narrow path, and it's straight, and it leads to life. Life in this life, abundant life, and then eternal life with him. And then there's that other um, path. And what does that really mean if there's a narrow gate and a wide gate? It means there's true. And there's false. It means there's right and there's wrong. And our culture doesn't want to believe that, but Jesus is the one who told us that, and he's the son of the living God, and he always spoke the truth. So when Jesus said various things about our lives and how to live them in the narrow way, he meant that we needed to live our lives in that way. And I'm going to share just three of them this morning as we close out this message. And the first thing, I already mentioned this last week. If you were here last week during the Lord's Supper, I said that Yukina and um, Hubert Chan and I were having a conversation about the Great Commission. And I had said, you know, obviously people probably know the Great Commission. In case you don't, Jesus said to go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And he said, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And I said to Hubert, that's not an option. And Hubert said, all of us are called to go, and some of us are called to stay. In other words, every single one of us is called to go out and to share the gospel. So the, the, the thing that I, that I said last week during the Lord's Supper is I've had a lot of people, even here at New Life, say to me, well, God has never called me to go. Huh, yeah, he did. And some of us he calls to stay, like Faith Toomey who's a missionary who went out from New Life, and she's now been in Cambodia for three years. Actually, she's in Singapore today um, on a little bit of a leave. But in any case, she's on the other side of the world because that's where God told her to go. And we've all been called to go, maybe to Saxonburg, maybe to Pittsburgh, maybe to some other place. One of our members is going on a four-month study thing to Italy. So that's a place where she's called to go. So we are called to go. The second thing that the narrow path tells us is once we go... We're supposed to be witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, Once, wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And once you have, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. For, that, for us, that means Saxonburg, Western Pennsylvania, the United States, and the end of the earth. So when we go out, when I walked into that museum that day in Cambodia, I wasn't supposed to just talk about chocolate fraps. I was supposed to talk about Jesus. And when we go home today or when we go to work tomorrow or, spoiler alert, school in two weeks, for all you who are going to be doing that, you know, we're not just supposed to go there and take math. We're not just supposed to go there and make our widgets or do our whatever our job is. We're there to be witnesses to what God is doing in our lives. And then finally, last thing, there's a lot more things on the narrow path. But the last thing I'm going to talk about today relates back to what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. 
And so what Jesus was saying is we have to put everything we have and everything we need back into Jesus' lap and say it's all yours. How much do I keep for my needs? How much do I give away? And how do I use my time, talents, treasure, and touch for Jesus? Now, here's the thing. If I stood here this morning, and for the rest of the morning, I offered you options, and I would say, is this activity a narrow road activity, a narrow path activity, or a wide path activity? You would get 100%. You would know. If I said, should we go, um, you know, put all the money in our savings account into a lottery ticket this afternoon? You would say, that's not a narrow path. You know, if I said, should I pray for my, my, my sick brother? Well, pfft, yes. See what I mean? It's easy, right? But here's the thing. It's the most important thing I'm going to say today. and It's going to be written down because it's that important. If I can find out what page it's on. Right here it is. Knowing which gate and path to take are not enough. We must enter the narrow gate and walk the narrow path. You see, we all know which gate is which. As soon as we have a decision in front of us, I know that's the narrow gate decision or it's the wide gate decision. It's not hard. But the bottom line is, it doesn't matter if we know it in our head or even know it in our hearts. Eventually, it has to translate into our lives. We must actually start to walk on one of the roads. And we're already walking on the wide road. That's where we start out. But we have to double back and get to the narrow gate. The narrow gate is Jesus. He's the one who leads us to eternal life. And so as we think about that this morning, imagine if every single one of us watching, or, or, yeah, watching online or here in the, in the room this morning, if every single one of us would take what we know about the narrow path and we would walk on that path, it would make a radical transformation in Saxonburg. It would. And, and, and I don't want to say we're not making any transformation in Saxonburg. We are. Because some of us are walking on the narrow road. And some of us are walking on that narrow road consistently. Some more than others. But as we think about it, here's the reality. Nobody can walk on this road until they've gone through the gate. And the gate is Jesus. Jesus is the narrow gate. He's the way to salvation. So if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then there's no possible way you can walk on the narrow path. You can only walk the path of Jesus when He's Lord and Savior in our lives. And so I have a prayer that's going to be up on the screen. It says, Jesus, I admit I have not walked through the narrow gate. In other words, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, which means He saved you from sin and death, and as Lord, which means owner, master, He gets to tell us what to do, uh, that's what we're talking about, that leads to life. It says, I have not walked the path you've called me to walk. Right now I confess I have sinned. That's really important. I always say you cannot experience the good news of Jesus Christ until you know the bad news. I mean, who needs good news if you don't think there's any bad news? People in America, they wake up every day and they have hot showers and they have you know, good coffee and chocolate fraps down the street and they have everything they need. And they never think there's anything wrong. Until they realize one day, whoa, everything's wrong. That's what sin is. When we realize that we haven't been following the path that we were supposed to be following that was put there for our benefit. And that's the thing you really need to realize. The narrow path is for our benefit because it leads to life. And if we haven't been walking that path, okay, so that's what sin is. And he says, I need you. I need you. I mean, we have to confess that we need somebody bigger than us. Come into my life, be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
that I, that's the spirit of the living God, that I may live toward others as they need me to live and be empowered to walk the narrow path that leads to you. This I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you're watching online this morning, if you're here in the room this morning, and you have never admitted that you're on a wide path that's leading to destruction, and you need to get on the narrow path, then this prayer is for you. Or maybe you have prayed a prayer something like this, and you've started walking on the narrow path, but somehow you're on the wide path today, and you need to get back on the narrow path again. Well, this prayer could be for you too. So let's pray, and if you need to pray it, you can pray it with me. Jesus, I admit I have not walked through the narrow gate that leads to life. I have not walked the path you call me to walk. Right now I confess I have sinned and I need you. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may live toward others as they need me to live and be empowered to walk the narrow path that leads to you. This I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So all of us who have made that commitment to go through Jesus, the narrow gate, and walk on the narrow path can do the next step, which the next step, for those of you who are new, here at New Life, at the end of every message, there's a next step, something to do. Because as I've said so often, information minus application is just information. But information plus application leads to transformation. So here it is. I will do to others what they need me to do for them to show them Jesus' love this week. And when we do that, we think about what other people need and we do it in Jesus' name, what's going to happen is we're automatically going to be walking on the narrow path. Way back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that we are two things. We're a lot more than two things, but we are these two things. We are light and we are salt as his followers. We are light, which means that we can dispel the darkness in the world around us. We are salt, which means that we get to bring healing and we get to bring zest and flavor and vitality to people who are suffering and struggling and who are, who are desperately ill, if not physically, then spiritually. We get to do that. We get to as we walk this narrow path that leads to life. So as we go out this week and as we go back to our homes, as we go back to our workplaces, and very soon as you all who are in school go back to school, you get to be light and salt in a dark and tasteless world. You get to speak up for Jesus in places where, and people are going to say, you can't speak about God in school. Yes, you can. I did all the time when I was in school, and yeah, I know that was 100 years ago, but, but it was still a public school, and I still wasn't allowed to, they said, you can't pray in school. Trust me, I prayed a lot in school. I always prayed that I didn't get caught for the stuff I was doing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> actually, I did pray for that sometimes. Okay, so maybe not the best prayer once again, but I've grown up a lot since then. As we, as we go out into the world, people are desperate for somebody to guide them to that narrow road leading to life. And we have it if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in our lives. And we get to offer it to them. And if the golden rule is true, and I know it is, we not only get to, but it's our job to do to others what they need us to do for them so that they'll know Jesus. And so eventually they'll become disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love. We thank you so much that you have done the golden rule to us way, way, way beyond anything we could imagine. We thank you that Jesus came and lived a perfect life that we could not live. And today, God, I pray that for any who prayed that prayer, 
that they would walk on the narrow path with you, that you will fill them to overflowing with your Holy Spirit so that they can have a good, strong start to the walk. And God, for those of us who are on that narrow path, I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us so that we will continue in diligence to walk that narrow road that is already leading us to life, abundant life here, but also to eternal life with you. God, we praise you that you care enough about us to cause us to, to make hard decisions that are for your glory and honor and praise. And then that you empower us to walk that difficult way that, lead, that is leading to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.